not fear the one and only Tucker Carlson. He's here, right here, right now. Buck up, it's going to get better. Hello, welcome to Tuck It Out. I'm Troy. And I'm Tyler. And this is a podcast where we talk about building material enthusiast Tucker Carlson. Building material enthusiasts. So like, it's like concrete. Well, I, I shouldn't say all building materials. I didn't mean to imply that. Um, we're, we're going to get, we're, we're going to learn a surprising amount about how Tucker prefers a house be built. Um. Okay. <laughs> what an important topic. I'm sure, I'm sure it's groundbreaking stuff. Yeah, we, we, we are getting it to the, to the very depths of the topics of relevance today. But first, uh, we have a new patron to think um so cody is a lying smug pompous group thinker thank you cody well thank you so very much cody yeah so tyler we've got ourselves an episode today i don't think it's been too much of a secret that uh after a year of talking about tucker every week i grow weary of him um and, and no uh, one and no one is surprised <laughs> and the the wind has just been out of my sails a little bit and so when I when I was trying to prepare this week, I, I, I didn't feel like, like the, the nightly show felt like squeezing blood out of a stone. His his coverage of the situation in the in the Russo Ukraine war has um, changed a bit again, and so we are going to have to do uh, a Tucker's Ukraine coverage part two. But I kind of wanted to let um, let that story develop a little bit before we went back to it because I, I I think it's useful when we do those to, to kind of look at a few weeks of his coverage in aggregate to track how it changes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to let that stew a little bit more, but then if we're leaving that on the table for now, there just wasn't much else in the nightly show to cover. Um, and I, I have a couple of projects in the works right now that I'm pretty excited about. One relates to the, uh, the Whitmer kidnapping plot. That case has gone to trial now. And, and since we've talked about that so much on this show, I've, I've been tracking that and we're going to have a fun little deep dive there on the horizon. And then um, there's also a project I'm working on related to something I discovered that is uh, adjacent to our old buddy, Mike Enoch. Um, oh, so those are two episodes on the docket for April that I'm really excited about, but I didn't know what to do this week. And so I was like, we get some traction out of Tucker doing interviews sometimes. I wonder if he's been done any like podcast appearances recently that I've missed. And so I did some searching around, didn't find much of interest. He went on Glenn Beck's show a while back, but that was a dud. I, I listened to, I think this was from 2019. Tucker was a guest on the Meat Eater podcast with Steve Ranella, who's one of Joe Rogan's meathead friends. And he has a podcast called the Meat Eaters podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, th- I thought that might be fun. And I listened to it and it, I really enjoyed listening to it, but it's not something we could possibly make an episode out of. It's mostly them talking about fly fishing. <laughs> oh, man. If I was a woman, I think having a podcast called the Meat Eaters podcast would be like red flag number one. I mean, it it, it takes all kinds. Some women are probably into that. And I, I have no issue with Steve Ranella. I'm sure he has like some shitty opinions I would disagree with, but he's just like, a, a a dumbass of the meat eater podcast he's fine <laughs> okay all right <laughs> um, 
okay i i don't know anything about it either i was just there's been a lot of uh talk in like the youtube circles that i'm that i follow about like these hyper masculine dating advice podcasts have you seen anything about these no they invite women on and tell them that if they want a high value man they're not allowed to expect him not to cheat on her <laughs> like <laughs> like it i just assumed it was in that ballpark because like that that's that's really in vogue i've seen i've seen covers of at least two different podcasts that are almost identical um and it's just guys telling other lonely men advice on how to get women um by being the worst man you could possibly be so good stuff (laughs) yeah yeah never show emotional vulnerability you know you know all that all that fun stuff if there's one thing to know about women is that they hate an emotional connection if you let them know that you're also a human being who who experiences feelings then that that's a huge turnoff they're not gonna they're not gonna be down for that man they want you to be a two by four with a running truck and a working trigger finger that's all you need damn Um, straight (laughs) (laughs) so anyway um sorry for my tangent See, I, I spent I spent some time adrift trying to figure out what to talk about, and I stumbled onto um, this came out January twenty seventh. Tucker was a guest on Americano. This is a podcast that's uh, a, a product of the Spectator, which is a um, conservative magazine in the UK. The Spectator has this Americano podcast hosted by this guy Freddie Gray. Um, Freddie Gray is for a long time has been the Spectator's like American politics guy he hosts this americano podcast where he talks to usually like american media figures like there was a recent a recent one with steve bannon um it's like american right-wing shitheads he's like hey tell my uk fans what's going on um so tucker showed up on that show on january 27th and listening to it i found it interesting because so this was in this was late january so it was pre invasion of ukraine but it was to the point that it was pretty clear some something bad was going to happen and so they they talk a lot about tucker's views on that situation and i think because this is like a smaller venue with a reliably conservative audience and a lot of them aren't even based in the united states i think that tucker felt more comfortable here talking about what he actually thinks about the situation as opposed to what's presented on his show um, okay. And so the, interesting. Yeah. And so this, this provides some context that I think um, helps flesh out some of the things we saw on our last Ukraine episode and will help inform how we understand some things on the next one. And then at the end, it goes off the rails a little. I, I, I will say the, the first chunk of this, of this interview is fairly boring, but at the end we get, we get some pretty fun stuff that we can add to our Tucker is a weirdo canon. <laughs> always like that so yeah uh with that out of the way we can go ahead and jump in so this is how freddie gray introduces the conversation hello and welcome to the americano podcast a series of discussions about american politics life and culture my name is freddie gray i'm the deputy editor of the spectator This week, I did a Spectator TV section with the Fox News host, Tucker Carlson. 
And I thought Americano listeners might enjoy hearing a longer version of the interview. I started by asking him a question uh, that a lot of people have been asking, which is how does he respond to the allegation that he is a Russian spy? <laughs> With a chuckle. <laughs> so that's how we get off the ground here. Okay. So he's taking it very seriously, I see. Yeah. Also, did anyone actually accuse him of being a Russian spy? No, I don't think so. I'm sure that it's been said on Twitter or whatever, but that's not like they're already uh, presenting a fake version of the critique because no reasonable person is accusing Tucker of being a Russian spy. Yeah. Um, But it is fair to say that he has been an instrument of Russian propaganda, given that segments of his show have been played unedited on Russian propaganda networks. Yep. Um, and yeah, in- I would I would believe people have said he's a Russian defender or even like a Russian agent, like uh, like an unknowing Russian agent. But like, I, I don't think anyone's actually accused him of being a spy. Like any any like outlet, like maybe like you said, some asshole on Twitter. But yeah, and, and like that's what they need to pretend the allegation is because that's clearly ridiculous and so then it's like oh all these people who are mad at me are just being so ridiculous and silly there have been some developments since last time we talked about it on the uh tucker being used on rt front and i think that tucker knew this story was going to break because this uh this is reported by mother jones and a few days before this came out tucker uh criticized mother jones by name on his show and called them dumb so i think they probably reached out to him for comment and then he was like preparing his audience to hear about this and trying to preemptively discredit them because it was reported that on March 3rd, there was a memo from the Kremlin that was, that sent out talking points to state friendly Russian media with a request to use more Tucker Carlson clips, a quote from that memo. um, It is essential to use as much as possible fragments of broadcasts of the popular Fox news host, Tucker Carlson, who sharply criticizes the actions of the United States and NATO, their negative role in unleashing the conflict in Ukraine, and the defiantly provocative behavior from the leadership of the Western countries and NATO toward the Russian Federation and towards President Putin. It it goes on to sum up Carlson's position, quote, Russia is only protecting its interests and security. The memo also includes a quote from Tucker that says, and how would the U.S. behave if such a situation developed in neighboring Mexico or Canada? So this document from the Russian government to Russian media giving talking point recommendations was like, use clips of this guy, Tucker Carlson. He's the best. Good sign. Good sign. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it, that's kind of the, the, the milieu things out of which people are calling Tucker Carlson, a Russian asset and things of that nature. But Tucker responds to that with a chuckle. Um, And then there he's going to elaborate on why he thinks that's so funny. And this is right off the bat. So goddamn disingenuous. But what's interesting is the presumption in the United States is that it's, you know, terrible to be an asset of Russia, but entirely acceptable to be an asset of Ukraine. And many of course in Washington are the president's own son worked for a Ukrainian company and the president himself was deeply enmeshed in the internal politics of Ukraine when he was vice president. And of course, still today. And I'm not sure why that's better. You know, no one in the United States ought to be an agent of a foreign power 
or promoting foreign interests at the expense of America's interests. I mean, in a democracy, it's very simple. The government exists to serve the people who put it in power by voting. And your foreign policy ought to reflect that, which is to say your foreign policy ought to serve the interests of the country. Now, if it's ancillary effects or improve the lives of others, then that's that's certainly great and virtuous. But if its primary goal is to serve the interests of other countries or their populations, then it's by definition illegitimate. I mean, that's the you know, that's the role of church groups and NGOs. And, you know, there are plenty of humanitarian organizations, but the U.S. military, the United States State Department, the White House, the U.S. Congress, even our media exist for the benefit of the United States, period. And they've lost sight of that. And that's the core problem. So the argument I'm making against intervening between Ukraine and Russia, and we already have, by the way, we've sent billions in what we're now calling lethal weapons, as opposed to what, I suppose, missile systems and small arms and all kinds of stuff. To Ukraine and to neighboring countries, you know, we're already funding a proxy war. So why would we be doing that? I mean, is there a vital American interest that serves? Perhaps there is. I haven't heard anyone explain it. And you sort of know if they go immediately to you're working for Vladimir Putin or something. I, I have like limited interest in Vladimir Putin. I've never been to Russia. I don't speak Russian, much less Ukrainian. It's just not a part of the world that is captured by interest. But even if it had, answer my question. Right. I mean, like, what is the vital interest at stake? And of course, they they can't answer it. So they go ad hominem immediately. To me, that's a a very obvious sign of their weakness. If you become hysterical when someone asks you why you're doing something, then maybe you're doing the wrong thing. Okay, a couple of things. (laughs) What were you going to say? You go first. Okay. Um, So does not deny being an asset for Russia. And then just complains that there are also agents of Ukraine in, that exist. Yeah, he's like, well, you see, the people who call me a Russian asset are Ukrainian assets. Checkmate. <sighs> yeah, lots of, <laughs> lots of, well, what about, like, he, di- he didn't deny it. He was just like, well, what about people doing it for the other country in this conflict um, without actually addressing it? Um, and then church groups are going to solve the war in Ukraine? Yeah. I don't I don't think churches are very helpful during war. I could be wrong, but like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and this is it it it's not the job of the United States government to help people in other countries. So if if you want to help people in other countries, then that can be the job of church groups and charity organizations and NGOs, but not the US government. That serves American citizens. Which uh... the it, expansion it, of fascist autocrats into the into the into Europe uh, is is bad for America and democracy. Just to just to putting that out there. Also, um, um, this is absolutely not a proxy war. A proxy war is a war instigated by a foreign power which itself does not participate. Um, the United States is not instigating Russia. Russia is instigating itself uh, to, to take over Ukraine because they're bad. See, but Tucker thinks that we, we, we did provoke this attack on Russia through NATO expansion. Yes, by expanding a defensive pact, we're threatening Russia. Sure. Yeah, like to, to the extent that NATO expansion is a threat to Russia, it's maybe a threat to their uh, imperialist territorial, territorial ambitions. Yeah, I, that's the only thing that can mean because NATO isn't going to invade Russia. 
Yeah, that is that is some some radioactive bad take energy right there. It's a very classic Tucker answer, and we'll see a couple of those throughout this interview. It's just like a, a good distillation of how Tucker Carlson answers questions, which because the question was, how do you respond to people saying you're a Russian asset um, or a Russian agent? To which he replies, well, you know, uh, the people who are saying that are Ukrainian assets. And then goes on to make some bad faith attacks against Hunter Biden and the president. Yeah. Um, and then it happened five years before this war or something. <laughs> and, and then uh, goes into which, by the way, just answer my question. I'm just answering questions. And whenever I ask, I'm just asking questions. And whenever I do, they call me a Russian agent. Well, why don't you just answer the question? If you're being hysterical, maybe that means you don't have a good answer. And so then he gets to uh, paint his enemies as unscrupulous fools without ever actually addressing the question he was asked. Yep. And also giving answers like that is why people think you're a Russian agent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you, if, uh, if in your answering a question, you need to try and sneakily change what the question you're answering is, then that's a sign that maybe you're acting in bad faith. Yeah, right? <laughs> so Freddie Gray asks him another question, and Tucker begins answering, but I'm going to cut I'm going to cut this off halfway through because prior to actually addressing the question, he gives this kind of preamble in which he says two things that I think are very important to keep in mind as we look at how he covers Ukraine. Well, perhaps there's a certain insecurity about NATO, and particularly among in Britain. I know there's a strong desire to sustain NATO, even though the sort of primary purpose of NATO to win the Cold War has gone. And do you think there's an argument, a legitimate argument, to be said that if we allow Putin to expand into Eastern Europe, into non-NATO powers, then he will be buffering up against NATO powers that we are committed by treaty to support and America is committed by treaty to support. So it, it puts Russia and the West at a sort of trigger point that they aren't at the moment. OK, well, I, I mean, I guess, but that would be a voluntary trigger, I assume. I mean, I think it's important, given that the Soviet Union collapsed when I was on my honeymoon, that was 30 years ago. I mean, the full collapse happened in August of 1991. That was the point at which my, and my father worked for the U.S. government waging the Cold War. So that was like the very center of our family's conversations every night. At the very same moment that many of these now Russia hawks were making excuses for the Soviets, I should point out, irony of ironies. But in any case, it was a secular regime then. It's a regime that subsidizes the Orthodox Church now. So maybe that's the difference, I just a guess. So two things he says there that jumped out at me. One was that during the Cold War, his father worked for the U.S. government, and fighting the Cold War was the subject of conversation around the dinner, around the dinner table every night. I, I think that that is something important to keep in mind, is that Tucker, he himself isn't really an actor from this kind of like anti-communist Red Scare era, but his dad was very much involved in that. And uh, Tucker... We, we've heard him talk before about how a lot of his worldview comes from his dad. Tucker was very much baked in this sort of um, McCarthyist, the, the, the communists are coming for you world. He doesn't now apply that, that, um, that skepticism to Russia. And we're going to get into later, I think, where he's projecting that energy now. It shouldn't be a surprise to listeners of the show. It's China. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, 
the the next thing that he says is that the relevant difference now compared to when NATO was formed is that the Soviet Union was a secular state, whereas Russia is a Christian state and subsidizes the Orthodox Church. So that's the difference. He he's going to elaborate on that later, but I, I want I wanted to say off the bat a huge part of the kind of cult of personality that Putin has intentionally constructed through Russian media operations is this idea of Putin as like a defender of Western Christendom. And when Tucker gets more into that idea later, we can talk a bit more thoroughly about why that's bullshit. But uh, what I think is important here is that Tucker has bought the Putin propaganda line that Putin is a, a defender of Christianity the world over. And that's why they're no longer like a core security threat to to the United States. Yeah, so we we've definitely seen Tucker do Christian nationalism before. So it seems to track that he's defending it now. He's just doing it in the stupidest way possible because it's fake propaganda Christian nationalism and not like actual Christian nationalism. <laughs> like both are bad but he's like well i don't know i i feel like tucker's smart enough to know if he's being propagandized to so is this just the veil behind which he's defending fascist autocracy like yeah we can't know i guess but yeah it's hard to say like you can you you can pull those nesting dolls up forever and like does he actually believe this or is this a smokescreen and like most of the time i don't know there are a couple of things that on a bedrock i'm like yeah tucker believes in that like um gender roles I i think that that is just something tucker really firmly believes in yeah um and we'll throw out various smoke screens to kind of mainstream that belief and w- with this, I, I'm not sure because, like, my my impression of doing the show for a while now has been that Tucker has sort of been uh, increasingly radicalized into um, Christ, uh, like like a Christian flavor of right wing politics. Um, mm-hmm. Because he he's talked about his growing frustration with the kind of the moderate milk toast approach of the Episcopalian Church, which is his uh, the tradition he comes out of, um, and he's okay. talked about how Jason Whitlock woke him up to this sort of like spiritual battle that they're in now. Um, I I don't know how much of this is sincere or how much isn't, but to hear him talking in these terms of like the Soviet Union was an enemy because they were secular, Russia's not an enemy because they're Christian is troubling (laughs) yeah i think i'm just going to take the consequentialist road and say the effect of tucker carlson's actions is increasing the support for fascism and christian nationalism regardless of whether he thinks he's doing it or believes it's good or whatever that is the effect of of his actions so that's what i'm going to attribute to him yeah, so then after that, Tucker goes on to to describe NATO as a zombie institution uh, lurching toward an unknown goal, and he'll he'll talk about how, I mean, obviously we, we want other people, we want people in other countries to live in freedom. It's great, and it's sad when they don't get to, but that's not our job. Um, and so then at that point, 
Freddy proposes a terrifying hypothetical. But if, I mean, if, as some people suggest one day you might be, if you were president of the United States, would you say, let's scrap NATO? You know, as an instinctive conservative, I'm against breaking things without a good reason. So you have, I think the first thing I would do with assess is we have this thing, we have this military alliance. It's awfully well-funded and awfully well-armed, relatively speaking. And is there something useful we could do with that? And I think it would be, I've been thinking about this, you know, fairly intently for four years since Putin three and a half years met with Trump in Helsinki. I was there and this was a a big topic. Like, what's the point of NATO? And I I have not met anyone who could explain how we could do something useful with NATO. Does anyone sincerely believe that Western Europe is at risk of being invaded by Putin? Well, if it is, then Western European nations, which I think we at this point can trust to have weapons, should defend themselves. I mean, that's the idea of the nation state. You defend your own interests. You have a vested interest. You have what we call skin in the game. And you ought to defend it if it's worth something to you. And that system has kind of worked fairly well. Yeah, so I I made allusion to that story about the Putin and Trump meeting in Helsinki on our the last time we talked about Ukraine. Um, Tucker brings this up all the time as kind of like, because at this Helsinki conference, Tucker asked Trump about NATO. And Trump was like, why do we have NATO? The Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore, blah, blah, blah. And Tucker describes that as kind of like that. That was when it kind of it, it hit me like, yeah, why do we have NATO? And just people who spend all the time in Washington are so used to it. They never think about these things. It's such a stupid line of thinking to say that because NATO was invented for a specific reason, that it isn't useful for more than just that one reason. Yeah, and then, and like, and I, I'm kind of interested in how Tucker answered that question because it started out with Freddie Gray said, if you were president, which some people are saying you might be someday. And then Tucker didn't like push back on that, which he usually, whenever that comes up, he, he acts like that's the most ridiculous thing he's ever heard. Um, I don't necessarily think that means anything, but the fact that he didn't kind of bother me for a second. He, but then Freddie was like, if you were president, would you scrap NATO? And Tucker was like, look, I'm a conservative. I'm skeptical of getting rid of things for no reason. So what I would ask is, we have this well-funded military alliance. Is there something useful we can do with it? And nobody has told has nobody has presented me with an idea for anything useful we could do with it. I have ignored all of the things that people have said that were useful that I didn't like. And so then that, that was kind of his the 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 basis he's going off of in this next bit. So I'm not sure that this is actually what he's saying, but I think his wishy-washiness on that answer combined with what he says next kind of makes me think he might be suggesting that if we're going to keep NATO, its use may be to contain China. I don't want to sound like a hawk because I don't think I am, but I mean, I suppose the theory would be if, let's say, Putin somehow takes over Ukraine, which again is doubtful, he would then be up against the Baltic states this was a month prior to the invasion. <laughs> Which are NATO members. So how would you deal with that? Would you say that if he invades a Baltic state? I'm not sure I would deal with it. I mean, as from the American, look, I'm an American. I have no other passport. I've got four kids, four dogs and a house. I'm not going anywhere. So from my perspective, is wholly American. And I think every country has a different perspective. That's why I was for Brexit, you know, and each country should be able to represent its own perspective on the world stage. That's like, a baseline view for me. So from an American perspective, 
I would say, is it, you know, given the competing nature of interests, is it in the top tier of interests to prevent Russian expansion in Eastern Europe? I mean, it's not something you'd wish. You want free people to live in freedom. On the other hand, the freedom of people is threatened the world over. There are ongoing border disputes in Africa, a continent that I'm actually interested in, that have been, you know, going on, grinding on, causing the deaths of literally millions for decades. And, you know, that's sad. Nobody wants it to be the case, but is it in our interest to physically prevent it or try to? We also have a terrible record of actually affecting the desired outcomes. <laughs> we just withdrew from Afghanistan this fall after the longest war in American history. And rather than pausing to ask, why didn't that go as expected? What are the mistakes we made? What are the assumptions that led to those mistakes? We're on to, you know, contemplating an invasion of Russia during winter. Because <laughs> that works. Anyway, I would ask the question, like, clearly the, the threats to the United States and the US, our interests, global trade routes, energy, pure like military power, relative, relative military power comes from China, of course. And so to the extent that you are focused on another region, given the size of our military, our attention span, the limits of our budget, you are detracting from that. And so the question is, is it worth it? And being American, we're not trained to think that way. We imagine everything is a possibility. The world's a menu of endless possibilities. We can do all of it. But the truth is we can't never have been able to. There are limits of you know, physics and money and, and reality that impose on you. And so, of course, I wish Latvia the best. I would feel sad if Latvia ever lost its autonomy, to the extent it actually has autonomy as a NATO member, but whatever. I would say to myself, you know, that's sad, but is intervening, given the realistic possibilities of doing what we want to do, worth it, given that that would detract from the real problems, which are East, not Eastern Europe, but Far East. So that's how I would think about it. I think that's a pretty moderate, sensible, realistic way to think about anything. I don't think that's radical. I certainly don't think it's taking Putin's side. I have no, I have no special interest in any of this. I only care about my country. So that was another very classic Tucker Carlson answer, where because the question was, if if Russia expands and, and starts expanding into NATO territories, what happens then? To which Tucker responds, you know, there are border disputes in Africa. And yeah. a, a, a continent he's actually interested in. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what that meant. <laughs> yeah, that sounds uh, scary, to say the least. <laughs> And then, uh, and by and by the way, the real enemy is China, and Afghanistan was bad because Biden sucks. So he, he answered three questions there, and none of them were the one he was asked. Yeah, so he, he's really showing his like old timey colonialist colors there a little bit. Also, he doesn't actually care about africa when has he ever talked about africa on his nightly news show now, i have never ever. i have never once i don't think heard him talk about i mean may, maybe um once when there there i can't remember what country it was it might have been south africa i think it was south africa um where covid cases had gone down inexplicably and so he was, oh, hey, maybe COVID's not really that predictable, guys. Maybe we shouldn't be making long-term policy decisions based on it. I think that's the only time I've ever heard him reference an African country on his show. Right, so, that, so it had nothing to do with, like, conflicts and large-scale deaths. It's just whataboutism 
because he doesn't want to defend his positions for Russia invading Ukraine. Oh, and on Tucker Carlson today once, he did have somebody on to perpetuate the lie that there's like a genocide against white farmers in that, in, in Africa. Um, so he did do that. We'll talk about that someday. <laughs> okay. But as a rule, it seems like he doesn't actually care about Africa that much. Um, and he's just he's just pretending that he does in order to obfuscate the crisis that everyone is talking about right now. Yeah. Also, yeah. we're not sending troops into Ukraine. So, like, he's making us talk about something that isn't happening. Yeah, no. And, and again, they're, they're completely living in the world against this fictional opposition to their viewpoint. Because Tucker is like, now they're contemplating invading Russia in the winter. I have not heard anyone suggest we invade Russia. <laughs> no. That is, the, those are not what your opposition, that, that's not the claim your opposition is making. You're just pretending it is because that's much easier for you to deal with. Yes. Uh, invading Russia is how you start nuclear war and end of the planet. So let's not actually. <sighs> Man, I, uh, I, I was reading a bunch about um, like what would actually happen in the event of different of nuclear munitions being used because I was like, should I plan for retirement? Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So that was oh, how man. I spent that was how I spent some some of my downtime at work this week <laughs> reading about <laughs> nuclear fallout. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Um, but yeah, n- n- now that the now that the uh, China thread has been introduced, <laughs> I, I tried to say it like I'm panicked. Um, <laughs> now that that thread has been introduced, uh, it is not going to go away. Well, it's interesting you mentioned China because I mean, there's been a lot of talk in foreign policy circles about the Pacific pivot over the last 20 years in America and how America's strategic focus now has to move to the Pacific rather than to Europe, the Middle East and Eastern Europe. And of course, the Pacific pivot does actually challenge China. I mean, it does challenge China's ambition. So it does presumably suit China for America to be focused on the Ukraine because it means they care a little bit less about what China's doing in, say, the South China Sea or something like that. Needless to say. So, and you could, you know, look, I'm not alleging any conspiracy here. I do think there is a feature of human nature, and I think it's innate, that causes people when confronted with an unsolvable problem to turn to something else to occupy their minds. And anyone who's been, I mean, this is relevant to your viewers who are journalists, anyone who's ever been on deadline for, say, a magazine piece will find himself sorely tempted to rearrange his books by author because it's it's another problem to work on as you ignore the problem that confronts you that you actually can't solve. China is a problem that is very hard for the United States to solve. It's not clear how we do solve that problem. By problem, I mean, you know, sort of giving hegemony over the world to a country that doesn't believe anything really that we believe. It would be a massive change in the way the world operates, in the way that we in the United States live, in the way that you and Great Britain live. I mean, having China in charge of the world would be very different from what we have now. That's a huge concern, a legitimate concern, I think. And we're not meaningfully dealing with it. And I think you often hear people on the right say, well, that's because they're all taking money from China. Well, yes, that's true. Our former Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, who's like a moron, by the way, but got rich, as so many have been, but, you know, got rich effectively making China's case to the American business community. Many others in our diplomatic corps have done the same. 
So that's a straight up sellout. Hollywood sells out. The NBA sells out. They're controlled by the Chinese government. Everyone knows that. But I think the deeper problem has nothing to do with commerce. It just has to do with the terrifying nature of this threat and our own fear that we can't actually do anything about it. Okay, the NBA is owned by China. I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, and this is huge. Is there a huge basketball market in China? And this has to do with uh, uh, there's this guy in the NBA named Inez Cantor who changed his name to Inez Cantor Freedom, and he's he's come on Tucker's show twice uh, to to complain about this and try to draw attention to the issue. So I, I think that's what Tucker is referring to when he says the NBA is controlled by China. I feel like Tucker is trying to, uh, to make this hard because I agree that hegemonic control of China over uh, the world economy would make the world a worse place. But part of the problem is that America hasn't abandoned capitalism yet. And it, has to align with the places that make the most profit and China has the most people. So because of the financial systems that they support, American companies have to flood that market. That's the whole, that's the whole point of being a business is to maximize your profit. And if there's a huge market of, of a, of a new emerging middle class, with new uh, with new income, um, then you have to you have to market to them, and that's you know having good having good consumer goods is good for China, but they're also anti democratic, so they're they get to do both without without an ostensible democracy like the U.S. has. So it's complicated. It's not just China evil. <laughs> Yeah, it's so long as the organizing principle is minimizing cost and maximizing profits, then like you, you're not going to solve this problem Tucker is so upset about without changing that. Right. Um, like I, I, I don't like the impact that China has had on Hollywood either. Like I think that catering to the Chinese market has objectively made blockbusters worse. Weird <laughs> scenes in China in Transformers, anyone? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> And uh, I also think that the department, the, the Department of Defense contracts with Hollywood Studios to not portray the military in a in a negative light have also made movies worse. So yeah, just don't don't let governments interfere with art. <laughs> That's my soapbox. <sighs> Agree. Yeah. Um, there there honestly wasn't a ton I wanted to talk about in that clip. It just serves as preamble to. Uh, pretty much the rest of this conversation because they at this point every single point they're going to make goes back to this not that i make these decisions but it's not a question of pivoting east china has massive influence within our hemisphere go to any island in the caribbean including the american colonies there we call them protectorates or some of their colonies st croix virgin islands for example all the infrastructure in st croix is built by china what why would China be building the airport and the roads in St. Croix? And why are they doing the same in Jamaica and Haiti and virtually every population center in the Caribbean? Also true in South America. Again, this is our hemisphere, which for more than 200 years, we've said explicitly, we control, we will not allow 
world powers from across the oceans to control you know anything of meaning in our hemisphere, and yet they are. And this is being completely ignored. I never heard anybody mention it. I've just noticed it from traveling a lot. So I would just start there and say, you know, what is this about? Maybe it's totally benign that they're building the infrastructure in Bolivia. Maybe it's not. Man, he sure is proud to be an imperialist. This is our hemisphere. Holy I shit. I know. Dude. I know. He's like, this is the man who's like, I mean, we shouldn't be worried about what goes on, the, goes on in other countries. We should just be concerned with our interests. And then also, we get a whole fucking hemisphere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, I forgot to say this uh, last time I opened my mouth, but like Tucker really seems to be upset primarily by the threat that uh, any other country, no matter who they are, has more power than the U.S. in any capacity. Like, that seems to be his primary issue with any conflict with with, with global politics. Yeah, like, I, I know that we can't expect Tucker to be consistent in his positions. So that wouldn't be fair to him. But <laughs> in, in an alternate universe where he were going to be consistent... He would think maybe the U.S. shouldn't have colonies. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Instead, it's how come China has colonies in our hemisphere? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, I thought that- we agreed this was our colonial territory. All of these independent nation states that I said that I supported a minute ago. <laughs> and then he does. He always does this thing that drives me crazy. Where he's like, and no one, no one ever talks about that. Because he hasn't personally run across someone talking about it, but and but like Tucker doesn't. But by his own admission, he doesn't go on the internet or watch TV. Most of his information comes from weirdos who he texts. Yeah. So, um, and it is not the case that nobody has ever talked about um, China's engagement with building infrastructure in Latin America and the Caribbean. I found a Congressional Research Service report. On that very topic from 2021. Wow. So our very own government has uh, written a report about it. Yeah. 2022. Um, And and looking over this report, um, there is a lot of Chinese development money in in Latin America and the Caribbean. From 2005 to, to 2020, Chinese banks lent about $137 billion to Venezuela, Brazil, Ecuador, Argentina, Jamaica, Mexico, and other countries in the region. 68% of that lending was for energy projects, and 18% went to infrastructure. Um, That that lending does appear to have slowed down in recent years. There there were no such development loans in 2020. That said, it China has been pretty open that they have interests in, in developing relationships in the region. Um, China has signed comprehensive strategic partnerships with Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Ecuador, Mexico, Peru, and Venezuela. Um, and and they're, they're, in 2016, they released a policy paper on Latin American countries citing China's desire to strengthen cooperation there on the basis of, quote, equality and mutual benefit in relation to exchanges of trade exchanges of trade and investment energy agriculture infrastructure manufacturing and technological innovations the paper also stated that china will quote actively carry out military exchanges and cooperation with countries in the region but also emphasized that china does not target or exclude any third party 
so these uh the, these comprehensive strategic partnerships that they've 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 signed um they're not excluding these countries from partnership or investment with the united states or any other country it's just that china is the one most aggressively doing it and there are a couple of reasons why um that that partnership seems to be well received by by these countries for example um, China provided Latin American countries with COVID-19 vaccines, as well as medical assistance and, and loans to pay for the vaccines during the pandemic. That said, their goals in the region obviously are not entirely altruistic. Um, a big part of it seems to be like the securing access to natural resources in the region. And another probable goal of it is isolating Taiwan. Um of 14 countries that recognize Taiwan as an independent state, eight of them are in Latin America. And China's efforts on this front seem to be working. In 2017 and 2018, Panama, the Dominican Republic, and El Salvador all switched recognition from Taiwan to the Republic of China. And Nicaragua switched in December of 2021. Damn it. Right. Yeah. So come on, guys. <laughs> The, the point I want to make here is I don't know what Tucker's point is. Like, I don't, if his argument is that we, we should be, we should be combating this and we should be trying to make sure that we're the, the, the primary interest in um, the primary foreign interest in securing these countries, then he should support things like providing COVID-19 vaccines and medical aid or investing in infrastructure projects. But he does not want to do those things. He's made that very clear. Well, yeah, those help people outside of our borders who aren't real people. So we can't, right. uh, can't be spending money on that. Yeah, and, and we and we certainly can't let them come here. Heavens no. So no, 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 no. So like I don't know what point he thinks he's making by complaining about this. Because like what is the alternative? We we can't simultaneously do nothing for these countries and then also just say, hey, you like what does he want? Just say, hey, you can't take Chinese money, we're gonna fucking nuke you. Is that that's all the alternative can be? You know, it's a bold strategy. <laughs> I bet he'd go for it. Um, yes. Yeah, so then uh, at, at this point, Tucker gets back to the idea that, guys, we, we have a lot in common with Russia. Well, also, I mean, if, if you were designing American global strategy, you would think, if you were George Kennan or something, you would think, isolating China would be good, therefore splitting Russia off from China would be good, except for the fact that America's rhetoric at the moment seems to be driving Russia and China together as, as quickly as possible. And that is, of course, the effect. I personally believe it's one of the intended effects. But what's so fascinating to me and so repugnant is that clearly there are many people in positions of power in the United States who sincerely believe that we have more in common with China and its government than the government of Russia. Now, this is in no way a defense of the way the Putin government operates. You'll notice I don't live there. I don't care to. I feel sorry for Ed Snowden who's stuck there, et cetera, et cetera. But if we're being honest, and we always should be, we have far more in common with Russia than we have with China. I mean, Russia is a Christian country. Now, it's not any kind of evangelical country or morally upright country. I'm not right. But its culture is rooted in Western civilization, which is another way of saying, and we never say it, but it's true, Christian civilization and Christianity. I mean, its presuppositions are Christian, whether it lives up to them, often it doesn't. The darkest period in Russian history was the period 
when it ceased to be Russian and became Soviet. And, you know, anyway, you see the point. So for our leaders who are very familiar with how both of those countries work to look at the world and say, we're on China's side, which is absolutely what they're saying, reveals something horrifying about them. Again, that's a, you could say, you know, I, I hate Putin. I hate the way he runs that government. But really, compared to what? I mean, that's the other thing. Compared to what? This is a nasty world filled with, you know, genocidal lunatics at the helm, not simply of two or three countries, but of a lot of countries. And the only reason they're not committing genocide is because they don't have the power to. But there are a lot of bad people in charge, always have been. So to decide that Putin is the worst of the lot, like you're lying, actually, or you're totally ignorant. What did, uh, what, what did he say when he was asked if he was a Russian agent? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. It was, it was not, no, I'm not. And then, uh, and then he proceeds to do this. Yeah, th- th- that's outlandish. E- even just some of the tertiary stuff, like when he was like, it, lo- lots of countries are run by genocidal dictators, and Putin's not the worst one. Again, I don't know what point he thinks he's making. Like, is it okay to support most genocides as long as we're opposed to the worst one? <laughs> is that how he thinks you should look at foreign policy? I don't... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he thinks people should just stop uh, criticizing Russia, his, his perfect Christian nationalist fascist autocracy. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what he thinks. Yeah. But what he says is more interesting. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and this, this view of Putin as a champion of Christendom, again, is an image deliberately curated by Putin and the Russian government that has been very effective with American evangelicals. Yeah, and then he he's he's pretending that it's that the argument is how much we have in common with a country makes them worth allying with or against. And then the only example he has, because it's the only example that exists, is that there are Christians there and there are Christians here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the uh and, and then even even absent any evidence to the contrary that Putin is a defender of Christendom. The baseline assumption that America is a foundationally Christian country is worth taking issue with. I mean, you'll hear all the time a lot of the founding fathers weren't Christian. Um, but he, you don't hear that from Christians, but from <laughs> historians probably. But uh, but another thing that you hear talked about less is that um, a lot of the ideas underpinning the Enlightenment and uh, the sort of Enlightenment critiques of Monarch, monarchical power and uh, the idea that egalitarian freedoms can and should be expanded to a greater swath of the population. Yeah. Um, a lot of those ideas have their roots in a, a critique of European systems made by indigenous Americans. A lot of those ideas that started getting talked about by these French intellectuals in, in, their, uh, in, in, in their cafes and all that shit a lot of a lot of that stuff comes from them reading the the reports that um in particular Jesuit missionaries of their conversations with indigenous Americans and the criticisms that indigenous Americans had based on their observations of how Europeans lived and the relative lack of freedom enjoyed by European citizens the, these came back in reports from Jesuit missionaries like the uh 
the Jesuit relations. I believe this was like a 71 volume collection of documented conversations with indigenous peoples, um, where these sort of critiques of European monarchical power and money being translated into inequality were made. And a lot of the early enlightenment thinkers were clear that like that was their source of inspiration. And it was a lot of those enlightenment ideas and critiques stemming from the indigenous critique that brought us things like the French and American revolutions. And, and it, it goes without saying, the people making the indigenous critique originally were not Christian. So the idea that, that even like the core foundations of like freedom and equality among men is a, is a Christian value that this nation was built upon is bullshit. That is incredibly interesting. I've taken a lot of history classes um, and I did poorly in all of them. So if they talked about this, I probably forgot, but um, yeah, that's definitely not the story I'm, I'm used to hearing. Yeah. And, uh, and also people should read the Dawn of Everything by, uh, by David Graeber and David Wengler. That's very good. And by the way, the idea of Putin as a defender of Christianity is dumb. Well, Putin is a self-avowed adherent to Russian orthodoxy, and this is from a reporting by Billy Binion. Putin has not been a friend of religious expression in Russia. In 2016, he passed a law criminalizing evangelical, evangelical efforts outside of church walls, a measure that hamstrings religious life in public, in the home, and online, and thus targets many Christians for displays of faith. Those displays don't have to be overt. In 2019, a Baptist pastor was charged with illegal missionary activity for having the audacity to lead a Baptist worship service, and two members of the same sect found themselves in hot water after, hand, after handing out religious literature at a bus stop. More so, though, Jehovah's Witnesses in Russia are often the center of persecution. The Russian government classifies Jehovah's Witnesses as an extremist sect, and uh, adherents of the faith can face up to 10 years in prison for being a member of the church. Christian freedom, though. <laughs> but Russia's all about. Yeah, I, I believe as of 2019, almost 400 Jehovah's Witnesses were were, were facing charges for their faith. Um, because you know that's what Christian countries do is arrest Christians for being Christians. Oh man, um, Jehovah's Witnesses are so much fun. Do you remember eating lunch with with one every day? I I, I very much do. <laughs> oh, it was so much fun. I wish I was more political back then. I would have I would have asked them so many more questions. And like, like... <laughs> and like to, to, to be clear, because we're not giving identifying characteristics, but like it, this isn't us being mean. She was a wonderful person. Yeah, yeah, um, she was great. She was great. But <laughs> but then like you'd be like, hey, do you have any plans over break? And she'd be like, I don't celebrate Christmas. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like do you have a life do you do things with your family like are, are, are you doing a thing it's, <laughs> um... it, it was it was it was interesting it was an interesting conversation and like persecuting jehovah's witnesses as a matter of state policy is a weird decision because like jehovah's witnesses don't vote so they're not even like a, a threat to state power so that that's purely a religious decision <laughs> Weird. I, I didn't know that they didn't vote. Yeah, because you're they, like they're not. They don't recognize um, like earthly political leaders or governments. It's like God is the only legitimate legitimate authority. Okay, 
Well, their God is an asshole for not letting them have a say in who actually governs them on earth. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> just, just shut up and take it until you die. And then we'll, <laughs> I guess that's kind of what religion is for, right? It's for, it's for powerful people to be like, shut up and take it and it'll be better in the afterlife. That's probably a whole conversation. We can move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and just and out, outside of specifically the religious persecution, I mean, the Russian government has a his, has a well documented history of jailing and murdering dissidents, and currently are actively engaged in bombing civilian population centers. So th- those are not things that I would say align with my understanding of Christian doctrine. No, uh, mine either. Um, of course, I, I'm not, I haven't been religious in a long time, but given my understanding currently, yes, uh, like, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't line up quite. I, I think that people who talk about Christianity on TV with authority uh, at some point have to sign a contract that like, you're not allowed to read the Bible. Because <laughs> 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 it's, it seems remarkably consistent that none of them have. Um <laughs> but, uh, oh man, yeah. And, and Tucker has mentioned this point on his show before. Um, in that monologue, I think it was January twenty second, or I'm sorry, February twenty second. Um, about how he, he wanted he wanted to ask his audience why it is that they hate Putin. Tucker said, "Quote: It might be worth asking yourself, why do I hate Putin so much? Is he teaching my children to embrace racial discrimination? Is he making fentanyl?" Is he trying to snuff out Christianity? That that was on his show an allusion to this idea that we 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 should ally with Russia because they're a Christian nation. Um, I I didn't draw attention to it then because it was so in passing that like it didn't feel like there was enough meat on it to to say that he's parroting Russian propaganda there when there are other better examples in that episode. That monologue, by the way, was also recycled by RT. Great. Great. Um, Good news. Yeah. So then uh, we're, we're, we're near in the end of this interview. We opened with how, how do you respond to the charge that you're a Russian agent? Now we get to see how he, how he responds to the charge that he's an ethno-nationalist. Something he actually is. All right. Well, you're, you're bringing up of Christianity and Western culture brings up another accusation that is often made against you, which is that you are uh, rousing the forces of ethno-nationalism. How do you respond when people say that to you? <laughs> Ethno, that's, I mean, that's one of those phrases that the sort of half wits in charge of the Atlantic magazine throw around without thinking about. <laughs> Ethno-nationalism? I don't know. I don't even know what my ethnicity is. I'm like half Swedish, half English, I guess. It's not of great interest to me. I can tell you that. I'm an American. I don't think in ethnic terms. I, I wasn't raised that way at all. And I still don't. And I resist all pressure, too pressure mostly from the left to categorize myself and everybody as a member of some community or racial group. I hate that shit and I will never participate in it. So, but I would say what's so interesting is that the same people who are saying, you know, opposing war with Russia over Ukraine is ethno-nationalism are simultaneously making the case that Ukraine is for Ukrainians (laughs) (laughs) and that the Russians have, have no right to enter. So our country, we had 2 million immigrants, unauthorized, illegal, without documents, whatever you call them, commenced this country in the last calendar year, 2021, 2 million. That's like four times the size of the city of Boston. That's a massive number of people, okay? Even in a country of 345 million. It's a lot of people. 
unprecedented. And the justification for this is, well, borders are racist. People have a right to go wherever they want in search of a better life. Here, I'm looking at tens of thousands of Russian citizens massed on the Ukrainian border, hoping to get in for a better life. And I'm seeing world leaders say, no, you're not allowed to do that. Ukraine is for Ukrainians. I mean, speaking of ethno-nationalism, why is this? A, if we can import thousands of Haitians illegally, why is it such a lift for the Ukrainians to just, you know, let several thousand Russians in? I mean, of course, I'm joking. But I also think, like, that's a ridiculous. I mean, speaking of ethno-nationalism, what's the largest ethno-nationalist nation in the world? Well, it's their closest ally, China. China is an ethno-state. It's run by and for the Han Chinese. Why do you think the Uyghurs are getting so much trouble? Why do you think that, you know, the Mongolians and the Tibetans? Because they're not Han Chinese. So, look, you know, you run your country as you want. I'm not really much of a judger, actually. I judge my own country because I live here. But the same people, you know, Bill Crystal was like, he's like an idiot. Ethno-nationalism, fascism. Got it. Got it, Bill. A guy who couldn't even run a small circulation magazine is like, I'm in charge of American foreign policy. (laughs) Think about what you're saying. It's ridiculous. And so there are many ridiculous people. I'm ridiculous sometimes. I get it. I have a high tolerance for ridiculousness. It's the seriousness with which ludicrous people are taken that really scares me. We have a big, important country. You can't allow dumb people to act stupidly without, you know, reacting to it. It's like, what? It really freaks me out how mediocre our leadership class is. Not just that they're wrong, but they're like low IQ. It's like Bill Crystal is considered an intellectual, really on the basis of what? How do you respond to the charge that you're an ethno-nationalist? Well, Bill Crystal is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's that. But also, um, the, the way I heard it was, how do you respond to charges that you're an ethno-nationalist? One, ethno-nationalist. One, that's ridiculous. Two, Ukraine is for Ukrainians. And um, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, he he seems confused about what an ethnicity is. And he he's not confused about what an ethnicity is. He he dog whistles about ethnicity every night. Yeah, every time borders come up, I should say he's playing confused. Um, yeah, yeah. But the and then he throws in in the middle that he's joking. He was not joking for no, a single not. second of that. He he he's just. Oh, oh man, if someone criticizes me for saying that, I better say I'm joking so that... Uh. And then he brought up Bill Crystal at least two times. I would have to Google who that is. Call me, yeah. a, call me a Zoomer. Yeah, but the, like, the... He is not an, a big influence in American politics right now. What the hell are you talking about? He, he did the thing again that he did on his show, but it was more explicit here where he's acting as though there's a corollary between immigration and a military invasion and then act yeah. and then pretending that he's surprised other people don't don't understand that they're the same thing yeah i i didn't write it down but uh yeah he did he did mention oh why are we allowed to import thousands of was it haitians yeah first of all you don't import people unless you're a slaver tucker jesus yeah, but, but, but you see, Tucker believes that we are because George Soros is funding the Great Replacement. I know, but like, does he, why does he get to be so obvious about it? Like, why, why is a, he it, so unafraid? As, he's, as he said in the Soros documentary, it's a demographic war. Like, when Tucker says stuff like that, it's, 
very much within this uh, white genocide framework, which is is always worth pointing out because, as we demonstrated, that is not only wrong but an incredibly toxic belief system that has led to a lot of death. Yeah, people immigrating to your country is not the same as an army being sent into your country to make it a part of a different country. <laughs> nope. Um, and then. From here, they uh, change gears a little bit because Freddie Gray asks Tucker a question that I was very interested to hear the answer to. And then Tucker's answer to it was very boring. Do you do you now deliberately organize your program to trigger their rage? I mean, for instance, you have. No, this... no, no, I, I don't. I don't. And, and by the way, if I'm being honest, you know, I don't have a great sense of their rage because I don't you know, I, I don't like the Internet. It hasn't made me smarter. You know, I really I make an affirmative effort to turn off all the garbage devices. I don't own a TV, but I have an iPad and a phone. You know, that's my whole electronics right here. And I turn that stuff off at night and I read books, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. But I read, you know, nonfiction books at night. I just don't like I don't think the Internet has made us wiser or even better informed. And so I don't go on like social media. I don't mind Twitter reading about myself or whatever. So I don't really know. Did what you? people say, and I'm not that interested. If if there's something important, someone I love will tell me, and I'll listen carefully. But like, what if David Frum is mad? Like, I worked with David Frum for six years. I know David Frum really well. Yeah. David Frum is mad at me. I mean, fine. You know what I mean? I don't care. Why would I care? The question was: Do you organize your show? This isn't the word he used, but essentially, he was asking: Do you organize your show to trigger the lips? Yes, um, and he responded, no. And if this was a was a video podcast, that would be where I would put up a picture of the the doubt uh, from L.A. Noir, <laughs> uh, and I'd probably play the little noise too because I call bullshit. <laughs> and I'm glad you flagged that, Tyler, because we're going to get a little clue in this next clip as to how that may not have been totally honest. Did you miss, I hope you didn't miss, sorry to move off global politics completely, the reaction to your Eminem segment on social media? It's so funny you said that. Yeah, I missed it completely. And the only reason I know anything about it is because one of my producers called me today and said, this morning and said, let's do a follow-up on that Eminem segment, which I wrote in, and I'm not exaggerating, like six minutes. I mean, it was nothing. Call back to the Eminem segment. Uh, best best thing that's ever happened on this show. Um <laughs> But uh, what, what was interesting there, Freddie, Freddie Gray asked Tucker, did you miss the reaction to your Eminem segment? Tucker's like, yeah, I, I totally missed it. And the only reason I know about it is because my producer called me and said we should do a follow up. So what that has to mean then, like the only reason they would do a follow up for that segment is because of the online reaction to it. So maybe Tucker isn't the one engineering his show to generate online reactions, but people behind the scenes on his show absolutely are. Yeah. Also, I, I just, I don't think that Tucker would have talked about the Eminem thing if conservatives online weren't already mad about it. So, so it's like doubly wrong. I think like I, but I, I guess that kind of goes with what you're saying. Even if he didn't know Conservatives Online were talking about it, his producer does, and the show is engineered 
to cause a reaction. So, so yeah, uh, sounds like he called his own bluff, I guess. <laughs> and then seconds later. <laughs> yeah. And then th- th- this clip is very fun for me because um, Freddie asks Tucker to explain what the Eminem segment was for UK listeners who may not have seen it. And Tucker kind of misunderstands the question and thinks that Freddie is asking him to explain what M&Ms are. Let's explain to British viewers what that was, that, that something happened with one of the M&Ms that made them... M&M, M&M Mars, the company that makes M&Ms, which are, in case you don't have them in the UK, they're just delightful do. chocolate candies. As you can probably tell, I'm a big... I love candy. I Me shouldn't, too. but I do. Anyway, so... They come out and they're like, okay, our cartoon characters, which have been a feature of our advertising for a long time, and they're just like little round chocolate candies with legs. We have realized through some deep reflection that they're sexist and the female characters are wearing like sexy boots. And now because women matter and women in leadership are so important, we're going to put them in frumpy flat soled shoes. And so like, Okay. Again, I'm a personally a supporter of the M&M's company. I mean, I single-handedly keep their stock price high, so I'm not against <laughs> M&M's. But I just made the point that like women can be in leadership and still wear sexy boots. There's like nothing. There's nothing inherently contradictory about that. You can have women who are still feminine or or whatever leading things. And I was just mocking. I was just mocking. It. I was just joking. I mean, I you know. But apparently, people got all got all exercised. Fine with me. Women can be in roles of power and still be objects of my affection. I don't understand the problem. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I can jerk off to powerful women too, as long as they're wearing sexy boots. I don't get the problem here. <laughs> <sighs> Make Eminem sexy again. Tucker Tucker <laughs> or Tucker Carlson 2024. Um, well, yeah, Tucker Tucker, because he's going to be his own vice president. And I, I, I think I think a lot of the way that Tucker paints himself is like totally disconnected and dis, disinterested in the media. I don't own a TV. He wants to say that all the time. I think a lot of that is BS and kind of like myth making. Um, but I, I do believe that he doesn't go on Twitter. Like I, I I think that's probably true. And so it was interesting to me was that he seems to think that people were angry about the Eminem segment. And that's not what happened. People were made fun of you because you were a dumbass weirdo. <laughs> like, no, nobody was furious that you complained about the sexy boots. Speaking of sexy boots, women can wear uh, whatever they want. Um, but sexy shouldn't have to be a prerequisite for successful. Um, and I think that is the reason that Eminem's changed their... Uh, their cartoon Eminem design. And that's, and that's a good thing. And also it's really weird that conservatives care that their Eminems are sexy. It's just weird. Yeah, and I, I really like that Eminems, you don't have them in the UK are these delightful little candies and their mascots have legs. Oh yeah. The fucking <laughs> mansplainer of the century. Like Jesus, you have Eminems over there in the other hemisphere. Also, when we after we talked about that Eminem segment, some of our listeners produced some absolutely amazing fan art. I want to say that was the highlight of the year for me, and keep it coming. I, I like like Tucker Eminem fetish fan art. I will I will always be happy to see. I don't care how many how many I receive. Keep them coming, folks. 
yes <laughs> truly amazing so then uh here chucker clarifies like m- my views on politics are not weird well i think from uh, with- ethno-nationalism to candy i think we <laughs> <laughs> can i just say one thing I-, I just always think this i do have some pretty far out views on a couple of different things but they're not related to anything political you yeah. know i have really strong views about nature or whatever that are not mainstream views however my views on like race or sex or foreign policy are like completely moderate middle of the road you know 10 years ago my views were not even interesting enough to mention yeah. and my views really haven't changed so it's just so funny to be like this radical putin apologist racist <laughs> like, really no I'm I'm totally normal because my views were mainstream a decade ago. That's the <laughs> the conserv the conservative motto, I think. <laughs> yeah, more more like conservative or more like my views were mainstream fifty years ago for some yeah. of these people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like, and that's and that's where kind of like last week when we were talking about our takeaways from a year covering Tucker, I, I said that um. I was surprised at just the 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 open cruelty and vitriol toward trans people that happens on Tucker's show, and it's yeah. worth pointing out the reason that he the reason that he does that is because he can get away with it because unfortunately enough of society is still permissive of that particular flavor of bigotry. Yeah, he's scared to do that openly about women or like openly about black people right right and i and i think it's fair to say he probably would like if he could get away with talking with the same level of viciousness and cruelty about other marginalized groups he absolutely would percent absolutely without a doubt in my mind and and that's where like you know russia's a a, a christian country and they should be supported for that russia for anybody who doesn't know is a very terrible place to be gay um Homosexual terrible place to be, but yes, be gay <laughs> yeah. as well. There's a lot of discrimination, a lot of violence against gay people. And Tucker, that is in line with what he considers Western Western Christian values. And that's something that if if he could turn back time and make the United States go back to, he would in a second. So I, I just yeah. I, I, I thought that was worth talking about quick. Um before we get into my favorite part of this interview, um, because Tucker said there he has some far out views. So Freddie Gray wants to know, what's what's your most far out view? All right, let's hear about nature. What is your most far out view? I hate drywall. <laughs> what? <laughs> he hates drywall. And Okay. We- Okay, drywall. And we're about to learn, Tyler, why. And I got to, I want to know at the end of this if you come away convinced. Let's see. see I hate drywall. (laughs) I I really don't like unnatural building materials. I really believe in wood. And I'm an extremist on the subject. And I won't live in or spend any time in a room whose walls are covered with drywall, which is like paper-covered gypsum. And yeah. it's a very conventional building material because it's cheap and easy to install, but it's disgusting and it's it sucks the life out of you. It's it's just enervating to be in a room covered with drywall. So I just won't, you know, I won't 
it's not more expensive to panel a room with say pine boards like the one I'm in right now. And so I do, I, I'm not spending any time in a room with drywall or overhead lighting or anything fluorescent. Like, why would I do that? I, I really believe in natural building materials. Aesthetics are really important to me. Nature is really important to me. And so I'm just not going to do it. You know, I'm, I'm never going to stay in like a, ho- a hotel room if I can help it. I don't, I don't want to. So. Okay. I guess I'm a little confused on what natural means to Tucker because like you don't just chop down like this isn't Zelda Breath of the Wild. You don't just like chop down a tree and then it magically turns into planks. Yeah, like the, those the, those pine board paneling on your wall is is like heavily treated. <laughs> yeah. I don't And then I I don't actually know what drywall is made out of, but that shouldn't take me too long to figure out, right? Yeah, and, and while you're doing that, like it, he he said that it's not it's not more expensive to panel your house with pine boards, ignoring the fact that most people are not building their own houses. Like most people are buying houses, and most houses are built with drywall. Like it's absolutely an investment if you want to remove all the fucking drywall in your house. Also, drywall is made out of wood. Drywall materials include plywood and wood pulp. Um, and then uh, I guess, I don't know if this is, yeah, wood fiber and pulp boards are made by compressing layers of and particles of wood together with adhesives and are manufactured with wood grain and a variety of other surface effects. So, um, yeah, it's just, like, it's just like a couple of steps removed wooden planks it's the adhesives that suck the life out of you though that's the because oh. <laughs> i don't know if you know this tyler but the uh the the, the adhesive compounds in drywall they're made from ground up vampires oh uh, well well if that's the case then pff, suck the life right we should have abolished drywall yesterday <laughs> um, god it, vampires that's... rights what is his ideal home just like a log cabin just completely yes. uninsulated Absolutely. That's that, that. That is that is his ideal home. And also, he, I'm I'm sure that in real life, he would not want to live there. No. <laughs> Why would he? But as also, far as... what do you what do you put on the roof? Because you can't use tar shingles. Surely those aren't natural. I I, I bet he's a tin roof guy. Oh, <laughs> uh, but tin roofs are so ugly. I thought thought it was aesthetics. How do you? It would have to be maybe just like win. maybe like a glass pane. <laughs> <laughs> His whole house is a greenhouse. I didn't want to install the sauna, so he just made my entire house a magnifying glass. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Okay. Yep, Tucker's a weirdo. Also, that's his most controversial take in his mind. Yeah. The, the question was, what's the most what's the most controversial thing you believe? It's like, I don't like drywall. It's like, okay, like we're having a laugh about it, but it's because that's such an inconsequential thing to care about. Like, who cares? <laughs> you want to make your house out of wood and bricks? Do it. I don't care. Uh, Are bricks natural? I, I I'm so I, the word I, know, well, like, I, I, I really want to know where the lines are drawn. Like what? Yeah. What materials are 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 verboten? yeah so that is our episode today tyler (laughs) 
Oh, all right. And what is our sworn enemy? Bill Crystal. I I don't know. I don't Fuck know Bill Crystal. He's from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this has been uh, a, a tuckered out the sworn enemy of Bill Crystal. Um, I'll I'll see if I can <laughs> dig up that Bill Crystal envy I'm thinking about because it. We, we should just do uh, uh like a bonus episode sometime about unpleasant interviews Tucker has had over the years. <laughs> So all of them are <laughs> particularly unpleasant. Uh, like like ones where he gets exercised. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. We will be back. Um, we have a website. It's we do. It out. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. Jesus Christ, <laughs> I was I was fucking drowning there. You threw me threw me a life raft. Um, yeah, uh, we do. Yeah. We do have a, a fucking website. We're also on Twitter at TuckerDoubtPod. <laughs> Uh, there's a Facebook group called the Wokeristas where a bunch of lovely people gather and chat about Tucker. You can email the show tuckeruppod at gmail.com. And you can support us on Patreon. And if you have the means, um, there's also uh, some great organizations that you can help out the people you create right now. So that's uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you have money, don't give it to us. Like we're fine. Um, please, please donate to Ukraine. It's bad over there. <laughs> Um, or you know, it's your money. You do whatever you want with it. I'm not saying I'm not going to be happy if they if they give us money, but like you know, we'll be okay if you uh, if you give it to Ukraine. Just don't don't use it to buy drywall for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> what are you? Some kind of political elite working a political elite class? <laughs> oh, man. In the pockets of big drywall. (laughs) All right. So we'll see y'all next week. In the meantime, do not listen to Tucker's interviews. I will do it for you and try to enjoy your life. Thanks for listening. Buck up. It's going to get better.